Well, you guys are so sweet. That didn't embarrass me at all. Do you ever wonder what it's like to be on staff around here? Welcome, welcome, yes. <laughs> I totally forgot where I was starting this morning. Uh, yeah, he's a hoot. He's super, super fun. And he's like that all the time, too. He'll just walk in my office and start shooting me with Nerf guns in the middle of the day. Like, you never know what to expect from Phil. So he's super fun. Well, thank you for the warm welcome this morning. As I was driving in this morning, I was thinking about my dad. And I was thinking about he had the greatest one-liners. Do you know anybody who has, like, really great one-liners? Now, most of his one-liners had to do with somebody else being maybe inferior to him. <laughs> uh, for instance, if you were driving with him in the car and somebody was driving slower than he was, he would say, that guy went for a walk and took his car. <laughs> and to this day, I think about that whenever somebody's going slow, and my kids will probably repeat it too. But have we ever noticed, like, as we're driving, the person who's driving really fast is a maniac. And the person who's driving really slow is a turkey, right? And but how we're driving, that is just right. And I think sometimes when we encounter other people's behavior or their opinions, we think my way is the right way. And I wonder if you've ever experienced this on Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, you know, you're getting ready and people are coming over, the table is set. The turkey is in the oven, the stuffing is going, there's apple pies cooling on the counter. It is a beautiful moment. And as you take it in, suddenly it hits you. What happened last Thanksgiving? And what happened last Thanksgiving, well, we invited Uncle John. And Uncle John, he could make a political argument over what choice of pie you select for dessert. And then there's Bob. And Bob, when Bob comes over, we have to hide the remotes from him because he takes them. And in the middle of the game, he changes the channel because he's a chronic channel surfer. And that's just Bob, right? And then there's Jill. And, and Jill, last year, she got really upset because no one even tried her gluten-free kale cupcakes. And I, I don't know why. And then maybe we have our nephew who's gotten into some trouble recently, and he showed up with his girlfriend who nobody likes. Things are tense. Things can be tense. And I wonder if that sounds familiar to you, because that sounds really familiar to me. You know, suddenly when we realize that the beautiful moment is actually kind of fragile, it can take us back for a moment. And we realize that one spark and the whole thing's going up. One person opens their mouth to the wrong person and it's taken off, right? We suddenly will go from a loving family who's celebrating Thanksgiving together to cannibals in like three seconds. And that can be what it's like to be in the midst of tension. There's a beautiful desire to be together, but yet each one of us who come are different. And there's a tension in that. So we grit our teeth and we get through it because we're family. And that's what family does, right? But what happens when we're a church? How do we have different views and different ideas and yet sit and share a table together? How do we do that? Well, this morning we are continuing on in our series called This Is Us. And we are looking at the values of what makes us us here at CASAS. 
And 18 years ago, my family chose CASAS. We chose to be a part of this community of believers. And we were very selective because we had one little child, now we have three big children. I don't know when that happens, but we, we decided that wherever we planted, wherever we decided that we were gonna be in community with, that that was where we would raise our kids. And that's what we've done. We have a 15, 13, and seven-year-old now. And the value that we're talking about today is actually one of the values that were near and dear to my husband and I's heart as we chose CASAS. It's one of the things that makes us, us. And so today we are gonna talk about acceptance over agreement. And I wanna start by defining what those things mean in the context in which we're gonna talk about them this morning. Agreement is trying to force a common belief. You might think, oh, we agree, we like Krispy Kreme donuts. But agreement is more like, I like Dunkin' Donuts. You like Krispy Kreme, you, I'm gonna turn you. You're gonna like Dunkin'. And the other person's saying, no, no, you're, you're staying, I'm bringing you over here, you're gonna like what I like because I'm right. So agreement is trying to force a belief. I'm right, you're wrong. Acceptance is recognizing the person instead of the disagreement. Okay, so when I accept you, I accept that you love Krispy Kreme, and I need you to accept that I love um, Dunkin' Donuts. I almost said fries, because that's where we get our donuts. <laughs> uh, what does that say? Okay, um, but where do our disagreements in life take place? Maybe for you, it's not Thanksgiving. Maybe you're going, we love Thanksgiving. It's an awesome day together. Maybe for you, it's at work. Maybe for you, it's on the golf course. Maybe for you, it's an in-law telling you how to parent your children. Maybe for you, it's social media. This week alone, three of my friends announced that they were leaving Facebook because of tensions, because of disagreements, because people aren't always kind, especially when we're not face-to-face, -face, when we could just type it and send it, right? And we have a lot of opportunity to agree, disagree with people. We have politics. We could argue about what TV shows we like. We have vaccines. We have parenting styles. And even right here in this church, when it relates to church, we have disagreements on doctrine. We have disagreements on worship styles. We have disagreements on hands up, hands down. And you know what else we have disagreements on? Women in ministry. I'll share with you my very first, we call them POC when you're POC, pastor on call. And my very first um, POC, I was so excited to go by myself and I drove all the way to the east side of town to go visit this woman in the hospital. And when I walked in the door, she said, who are you? And I said, my name is Denisha and I'm one of the pastors at Casas. And she says, you're not a pastor, you're a woman. And I was like, thank you, yes, I, yes. And, can I, I just, can I just pray for you today? And I think she prayed for me, actually, by the end of the day. But um, it was a good time, right? So there's a lot of things that we can disagree with. And you know what? It's kind of what makes everybody unique, right? We'd have a hard time finding our car in the parking lot <laughs> if we were all the same. And you know, we're not always going to agree on everything. But I just want to tell you, we can have unity in the face of disagreements. By valuing the person over the topic, we can still have unity. And unity's tough. We see it in family and we see it in the church, don't we? When we confuse agreement with acceptance, it's hard for us to love the way that Jesus intended us to love. 
We wanna embrace this value as a church so that we will come to see that when we let go of our need to agree, we can accept the person on the other side of the conversation. Unity isn't a new struggle. And valuing acceptance over agreement is a way towards unity, and unity is a huge theme in the New Testament. And so as the church, as the body of Christ, should we expect to have a singular perspective on really complex issues? That would be hard if it's hard in family, if it's hard within the walls of our house, that would be really hard within the walls of a large church. But what I wanna say is, can we sit at the table together? Well, let's look back at some biblical history. Most of the New Testament is a story where we're not an ideal church, where everything just went perfect all the time. When you throw together a group of different people, okay, very diverse, we have different ethnic backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, religious backgrounds, there is gonna be some friction, and I don't know that we can get away from that. Within the early church, there were debates from everything from the application of the Mosaic Law to whether Christians should eat food that was offered to idols, to disagreements about circumcision, religious festivals, finances, mission, theology. And it's really not that different than what we experience today because it's an age-old problem. So what we're gonna look at today, if you have your Bibles, um, turn with me to Acts chapter 10, or click with me. And we're gonna take a look at this chapter because there's something really significant that's about to take place between two very unlikely people with two very different religious backgrounds, with two very different cultural backgrounds, and we're gonna watch how two men walk out a beautiful example of acceptance over agreement. So let me set the stage for a second. Two men, Cornelius, okay? Cornelius is a Gentile Roman soldier, and he represented the despised occupation of Israel. He was a centurion who commanded 100 troops, and he lived in the Roman, um, in the main city where the Romans occupied. And the Romans felt superior because they were people who conquered. And then you have Peter. Peter's staying in a, in a city called Joppa, about 30 miles south of where Cornelius is. He's a Jewish apostle who had spent time with Jesus during his time on earth. And in the book of Acts, Jesus refers to Peter as the rock on which Jesus will build his church. And that is exactly what we see Peter doing in the book of Acts. He's building the church. But up until this moment where we're about to read, he only spread the gospel to other Jews. He did not take the gospel to the Gentiles. So Peter is a law-following Jewish man, okay? He held very strict food rules, okay? Back in Leviticus, back in the Old Testament, there are 47 verses about food, and it's all about what's clean, what's unclean, what's holy, what's unholy, and it's everything to how does the animal eat their cud? How is their, is their hoof split? You, so there's you can and you can't eat all of birds and reptiles and insects and all of these rules, and Peter kept those rules, and it was to keep the Jewish people separated from the other, from the other people, particularly the Gentiles. It was the other. And so we have Peter and we have Cornelius. Doesn't it seem like if we put these two guys in a room, they'd be awesome friends, right? Totally different backgrounds. And yet, there's a God 
And God is orchestrating all of these events behind the scenes to bring two men together in a way that tore down the wall of agreements between them. So God starts with Cornelius. We're going to start reading in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. So this vision tells him, bring Peter and bring him to you. So Cornelius did. He asked and he sent his men and he sent them to Joppa. Remember, they're about 30 miles away from each other. Now, if three men show up at, at Peter's place, Peter's staying with a man named Simon, who's a tanner, who um, de deals with animal skins. And so if, if these three men show up to Simon's house and say, we're here for Peter, we're going to take him to, um, to the Gentile's house. We're going to uh, take him to Cornelius. Peter would be like, what? And so would Cornelius, right? But God, God intervenes in that. Now, so God is going to have to do probably something to prepare Peter to say yes to this invitation, okay? Because if it stops right here, I just wonder if Peter would have went, you know? So let's pick up reading in verse 9. This is Peter's vision. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, the men from Cornelius, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and then the thing was taken back up to heaven. So on this sheet, there's all types of animals and insects and reptiles and, and all of these different um, animals. And as he looks at this, he has this understanding of biblical matters, right? He's never broken the rules when it comes to food. And so all of a sudden, God says, Peter, kill and eat. And he's like, no way. I am not going to do that. I will not eat that. I do not eat those things. But what God has cleansed is no longer unclean. And Peter, it says, he left perplexed. He left confused. What does that mean? Because at first he thought it was about food, but we're going to see that it was actually about something really different than the topic, than the food. It was actually about people. People that Peter had some preconceived notions about, right? And even though Peter and the other apostles, they heard Jesus go into the nations and make disciples of men. They heard that, but they, maybe the nations were just the Jews, that this is the first moment that God is really breaking that differentiation and saying, when, like, he's basically going back and when, when he said nations, he was referring to the nations, Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, Peter was only sharing the gospel at this point with the Jews. 
And so to reach out to the Gentiles seemed unthinkable. And Cornelius, he represented what every Jew hated, a military commander from the occupying forces, right? They were worldly, unclean, ungodly, uncircumcised, common men. Peter would have no reason to affiliate with them. But if they had maintained these opinions of each other, if Peter had kept his feelings about Cornelius because of the people group he belonged to, they would have missed a huge blessing from God. Because no sooner did Peter's vision end when the three visitors from Cornelius' house arrived. Let's read starting in verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might meant, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius's, by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, I can imagine, right? The spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one that you are looking for. And the next day, he invited them in, which is a big no-no. He figured something out, that it wasn't about food, it was about people, because he invited these men in to stay for the night. And the left, next day, they left for Cornelius' house. So I just want to say that, can you imagine, they leave for Cornelius' house, Peter's standing at the door. What must that have felt like? Because this is everything your mother told you not to do your whole life. He's standing at the door of a Gentile. He's standing there and he's thinking, I'm about to walk through this door. And even when someone challenges our belief, it's really hard. It's really hard when people challenge what we believe. I mean, this is mom would have said, do not go to the Gentile's house. And all of a sudden, he's not only going to the Gentile's house, but it's a party in there. He's going to go in. He's going to eat. He's going he's to preach to them. This is everything that would, you can't eat with a Gentile if you were a Jew. So he was perplexed by the dream because this is hard. This is hard if it was another person we didn't agree with. And it's even hard for Peter when it comes from God. Like he had a vision. I wish I had a vision every time I disagreed with someone and God was saying, step forward in love. I wish I had that. And Peter has that and it's still hard. It says he was perplexed. So here he is, he's standing at the door. And let's pick up in verse 25. He's standing at Cornelius' door. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And he talked with him, and he went in and found many persons gathered. Now this is, this is the moment. This is the moment it all flips. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or even visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I shall not call any person common or unclean. When Peter arrived at Cornelius' house, Cornelius fell down and began worshiping him. And I love that because what I would expect Peter to do is I would expect him to say, yes, thank you for acknowledging my high spiritual place. Kiss my ring, right? But what does Peter do? Peter says, get up, for I am just a man. We are equal. He treated, treated him as equal. 
Now the very thing that he said, that God said not to call anything that he has cleaned unclean or common, that is one statement with two very powerful implications. We might have expected in that moment for Peter to say, Cornelius, I would love to come in your house. I would love to eat with you. I would love to hang out and talk. However, first I want you to go get circumcised, get baptized, and then we'll talk. That might be what we would have expected him to do. But he didn't because God showed him not to call any person common or unclean. And that is a really big deal because Peter spent his whole life distinguishing between the holy and the unholy, between the clean and the unclean. He kept the laws, and he was supposed to teach those laws to future generations, so this kind of messes up the, the plan a little bit. Food restrictions became a really easy way to separate the Jews from the Gentiles, and now there is one less excuse to separate them. Common and unclean. I want to take a look at what those words mean in the Greek, because they're packed full of meaning. Common and, and unclean. Common means defiled impure, unholy, profane, little value because they were ordinary. The word unclean means morally or spiritually impure, not brought into contact with the divine. So you can't even come in contact with God because you're unclean. So if we include those definitions, Peter was saying, God showed me that I should not call any person defiled, impure, unholy, profane, ordinary, of little value, or spiritually impure. Remember, Cornelius is a Gentile, so he is the other. He is the other that they're talking about. There were Jews, there were God's chosen people, and then there was the other, the ordinary, the less than. I want to ask you if there's a person in your life that you may have made the other. Common, unclean. Somebody that we've put in a category, maybe because of their behavior, their beliefs, their life. God asked Peter to wrestle with those things. And I think he's asking us to wrestle with those things as well. To see where we've placed people in our lives. Because Jesus taught that the Jewish laws were all fulfilled in him. But until this vision of Peter's, they didn't understand the full meaning for Jews, it was a radical concept to eat with Gentiles, to eat their food. And I want to read you Ephesians 2.14. This sums everything up. This talks about the Jews and the Gentiles being reconciled in Christ. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace. He who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. See, Jesus said it was possible for us to be one in any areas of divisiveness, ethnicity, socioeconomic, personality types, beliefs. What we see modeled for us here in this passage is acceptance over agreement. That's what we see. See, they're not going to agree on every religious practice, and they're not going to agree on the food that they ate, but they could accept each other, and they could listen to each other. And you know, I think it takes a lot of grace to do that. It takes a lot of grace to accept. But when we're willing to let go of the need to agree, we can see the person on the other side of the conversation. 
And you know, I don't always agree with my husband. I know none of you can relate to that with your spouses, right? You guys agree on everything. Well, my husband and I don't agree on everything. And one of the things that we disagree with is at my core because I am a mother. And as a mother, I want to protect my children. And you see, my husband grew up on an army base, very well protected, very safe. And I grew up in Southern California. You didn't go out front, okay? So now put the two of us in a room and give us three children. Uh, so my husband says, sure, you can go to the park, four streets down around the corner and across a major street, no problem. And I'm like, you can play in the backyard if I'm watching, right? So we have different beliefs. We do not agree on that. And yet I choose to sit at the table with my husband. I, I could choose to see him as the issue. There are moments I might tread in that territory. But all in all, I choose to sit at the table with him. I choose to see the person over the topic, and I just pray for my children a lot that they make it through childhood. And so I want you to think of somebody that you disagree with, because I'll bet you have them. I'll bet you have them in your lives just like I have them in my life. Would you sit next to them at the table, or have you made them the other? What we've made, what God has made clean cannot be called unclean. So what are unclean people? Are they Democrats? Are they Republicans? It looks, does it look different from you? Do they behave different from you? Are they the other? Can we be honest with ourselves in our lives and, and reach into those places where we have said those people are the other? We can change that. It's hard, but it's worth it. When Peter stood at Cornelius' door, he had a decision to make, and that decision was to walk through the door. But if you don't acknowledge the tension inside you, it said Peter was perplexed. He wrestled with this. He had a vision from God. If you don't wrestle with the tension inside of you in those moments, I'll bet it'd be a lot easier just to walk past the door. It'd be a lot easier to not even acknowledge that the door was there because there's tension there. And you may not even realize you've passed the door, but I guarantee the person on the other side of the door will know that you passed them up. That you didn't stop for them. So I want to encourage you to stay with the relationship even when it's uncomfortable. To move towards the person and not away from them. To keep showing up for the people in our lives even when we don't agree with them. It's hard, but we can do it because Christ came to unite us. So what door do you struggle to walk through? Can we disagree and at the same time love and respect and honor the people that Jesus calls us to? In Peter's vision, he thought it was about the food. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. The voice called him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And Peter was confused, but soon he realized it wasn't about food. It was about people. And so I want to challenge us this morning. If there's one thing that you take away this morning, let it be the fact that it wasn't about food that it was about people all along. And the same is true for our lives. When we hang on to opinions or beliefs, we make it about the thing that we disagree on when it's really been about the people all along. And just like my husband and I could make, we could make a whole lot out of the issue. 
but we put the relationship first. And that's why as a church, one of the things that makes us us is that we value acceptance over agreement. And we're all gonna find ourselves on the other side of disagreement at times, but when we let go of the need to disagree, we can see the person on the other side of the conversation, and that's what acceptance is all about. But I wanna be sure that as we're looking at what acceptance is, I also wanna talk about what acceptance is not, okay? Acceptance is not a quick solution or a shallow unity. That's walking by the door. That's a quick solution. That's shallow unity. You can go, yeah, I like them. Yep, but they'll just stay there. That's not what acceptance is. Avoidance is not acceptance because it's gonna be messy and I wanna encourage you to step through the door. Don't walk by. Accepting a person does not mean changing your opinions. And acceptance is not making assumptions about people that are different than you. That's judgment, that's not acceptance. So I wanna ask you, what would it look like if we could bring our different personalities, our gifts, our passions, our faith stories, our family history, our cultural backgrounds all to the table with us? Because if you look around this room, there are so many differences just between us and we need to thrive in the midst of diversity rather than feel threatened by it. So how do we still see, stay seated at the same table, even in the midst of disagreement? And not only just stay seated, not like holding with your nails the bottom of your chair, but actually enjoy the meal together. We are a church that's unified in Christ. And as a church, our shared goal should be so strong that it removes hostilities that it puts away disagreements and gives previously divided people a reason to take their place alongside each other. We are a team, church. And that is why this is such a high value of ours. The, the Bible never promises that we're gonna agree on everything, right? Again, we'd never find our car in the parking lot if we did. But unity is not something that we agree upon. It's deciding that in the face of agreement that you will see the person. You know, I have a friend that has very different faith values than I do. We're both believers, and there's a lot of things we agree on, but there's also a lot of things that we disagree on. And if I'm honest, there's times I walk by the door. There's times I think, oh, I'm not gonna engage today. I just don't have it in me because I know she's gonna try to convince me and we're gonna end up in this heated conversation and it's gonna be really hard. And you know, we're probably never gonna agree because we're both very passionate about our convictions, and yet we're friends for decades and we're gonna continue being friends. If nothing else changes, I'm gonna still love her. That is acceptance. I've stopped trying to change her years ago. <laughs> and I think she stopped trying to change me too. We just kind of agree to disagree. Now, the one thing I am gonna do though is I am gonna put up some healthy boundaries in those conversations so that I don't lose my marbles on her because that's happened too. And she's done it to me too. And, and I hope that she puts up healthy boundaries with me and lets me know if I ever cross the line. Because do you know when you cross that line, when you are in a moment of tension with someone where you disagree, do you know your body gets totally hijacked? I thought this was fascinating. So when you're standing in a disagreement, when I'm at my friend's house and she's trying to convince me of one thing and I'm trying to decide if I'm gonna engage or not, your amygdala in your brain actually gets hijacked and you react and respond as if someone pulled a gun on you. And it could be the difference between Krispy Kreme or fries donuts, okay? 
but your body actually responds as if there's a gun being pointed at you and you get hijacked and you feel threatened. And so I, I like knowing that because then I know that in those moments when I'm like, oh, I will tell her and I'm about to get in her face, I can go, I'm gonna take a deep breath and unclench my fists and I'm just gonna breathe for a second and think about what I'd like to say to see her and not the topic, that I'm not gonna put that between us. We're not always gonna get it perfect. We're gonna stumble through this, you guys. But if we're honest and we can be humble enough to go back and say, hey, we had a conversation last week and I don't really like how I responded to you. Can I have a redo? That holds a lot of, a lot of power. Just go back and go, whoops, I'm learning, I'm, I'm practicing, I'm, I'm, I'm figuring this out. So with my friend, I have learned to trust God with her journey and with mine because sometimes I find myself in our friendship afraid. And there's a few things that I can be afraid of. I can be afraid that we're gonna fight and we're gonna go our different ways and we're not gonna be friends anymore. I have 20 years invested in this woman. I'm not giving up now. <laughs> and you know, I can be afraid of that because that's scary. That's something we don't wanna lose the friendship. And sometimes I can be afraid that I'm wrong. I don't wanna admit it in the moment, but sometimes I'll argue back with her because I'm like, I'm positive that I'm right. And, and sometimes I'm afraid I'm wrong. And sometimes I'm afraid that what if she's right? And if I, if I really buy into that, and I really realize that, I suddenly see things begin to unravel in my life that I thought were really solid. But the one thing I know for sure is that I can trust God to accomplish his purposes in both her life and in my life. As a pastor here over the years, I have talked with many people who have shared their story with me about walking into this church and walking onto this campus. And many, I mean many, have shared the feeling with me that they felt common, that they felt defiled, that they felt like they weren't worthy to be accepted or come into contact with God. Some have said to me, I thought lightning was gonna strike me when I went in the doors. I don't know what that is. We don't even have a like, sunroof in here, but that's a thing. People feel that. But you know what, they were met, those same people were met with love and acceptance and grace from all of you. And that is why our family chose to be a part of this community. Because we do value acceptance over agreement. We were allowed to come with our questions, with our disagreements, and we encountered a place where we felt accepted. And today I would bet that all of us are here because someone valued acceptance over agreement and made room for us. You know, we have three kids. We have, like I said, 15, 13, and seven. And I will tell you, our 13-year-old little girl, she's gonna ask some questions. She is strong and amazing. And she's going to ask some questions. And when you tell her it's this, she might say it's that. And when you tell her it's up, she might tell you it's down. And she is gonna need a place with people who she can wrestle with, people who will say, hey, we love you. We're gonna just, we'll meet you right here, right here. We'll just go through this. Because you know one thing I'll bet is what she believes at 13 might change by the time she's 18, might change by the time she's 35. And I want people to be around her that will love her through those transitions. In a Bible class that I once took, the professor said, I'm teaching things today that five years ago I would have taught against. And I thought, wow, that's fascinating. Like I thought, I thought you knew everything. I can't imagine anything you're talking about changing, right? So I wonder if in the past five years, 
in your life, if your beliefs have shifted or changed or something you thought was Krispy Kreme suddenly became fries or something you didn't agree with suddenly you agree with or, or something you didn't think possible of God you suddenly know is possible. And if there's nothing in five years that's changed, what about 10 years? What about 20 years, 30 years ago? 30 years ago, I wasn't a believer. 20 years ago, 20 maybe. A lot changes in our lives. And this life is our table. The people around us are our family. So how do we sit together and enjoy each other and enjoy the meal together? Valuing acceptance over agreement, it's gonna get awkward at times because we live in a culture that is very contentious. But valuing people over the issue is an opportunity to strengthen the body of Christ and be a witness to all who watch. A friend of mine once told me that you may be the only Bible that someone's reading today. And so I wanna encourage you, walk through the door. Don't walk past. Walk through the door and allow for grace and trust God for both your journey and theirs. Peter simply said yes to God and he loved people who were so different than him. He shared the gospel to the Gentiles and as he did, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard and they became believers. Isn't that the hope? In John 13, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you will love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If people feel loved and accepted by us, the body of Christ, then people will be open to the person of Christ. In the face of disagreements, may we put our trust in the gospel and allow God to do what only he can do.